0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. This is our second week in chapter 21, verses 1 through 15. As we look at the closing of Paul's third missionary journey, here we see him on his way back down to Jerusalem, hitting the mainland again and heading from Caesarea towards Jerusalem in the next chapter. Last week, we studied that uh, when he made it to Caesarea, he went into Philip the Evangelist's house. And we did a whole study on just Philip's home, He had who had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Just the amazing home life that uh, that, that, that uh, house must have had. Um, but then uh, we didn't so much touch on verses 10 and 11. Uh, where we see an honored guest come. We see the man Agabus, who holds uh, the office of prophet, coming down from Judea. This is the same Agabus we read about in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, who stood up uh, again, or this was before, and uh, showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a famine, a great famine throughout the world. And then uh, the confirmation of that comes later on in the verse. This also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And so uh, we see that this is a a tried and true prophet, this Agabus. There's going to be a famine. There was a famine. And now we see him standing up in the home of Philip the evangelist and taking Paul's leather belt, wrapping it around his arms as a symbol of the captivity of the capture of Paul kind of an interesting thing. You know, prophets were, you know, a little bit quirky, you know. Uh, they didn't really fear man, you know. They, they heard the, the voice of the Lord and they would just, you know, proclaim what they had to proclaim. And uh, oftentimes they would use visual aids, kind of a show and tell with their prophecies. And we remember last year going through the kings, um, you'd see oftentimes there these visual aids would Uh, accompany the prophecies to really drive home the point. You guys might remember Ahijah and how Ahijah was wearing a brand new garment and he tore that garment into 12 pieces as a symbol of the division of the nation of Israel. And then he took one of those pieces and he says, but we'll keep one of these pieces for the house of David so that David will always have uh, a throne in Israel. You might remember Elijah and how he had the king shoot an arrow and then take the arrows and strike the ground. And the king took the arrows, and he, the bundle of arrows, and he struck the ground and, and he got rebuked that he should have struck the ground more times. But because he had a little bit of faith, then not much was going to happen for him as a king. You might remember reading in Jeremiah of the rotten loincloth. That's an entertaining passage <laughs> or uh, a smashed pot the symbol of a broken kingdom that couldn't be put back together and you know prophets would just use these visual aids to really drive home those points and here agabus no doubt drove home the point as everybody had been you know speaking forth that paul was going to be arrested in jerusalem and he was going to suffer through that um through that arrest there You read in verse 12 there that when they heard these things, when we, Luke makes it first person too, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. These people desperately loved Paul and didn't want to see harm come to him. Everyone in that place pleaded and begged with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul was courageous and he didn't care what harm came to him. You might just flip back a chapter to Acts twenty twenty two, where Paul says, "See, now I go bound in the spirit." You know, Paul could have almost taken that belt back and wrapped his own arms and said, "I am bound. I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that'll happen to me there, except." that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. And here through Agabus, the Holy Spirit was testifying that. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul just says, man, these things don't move me. I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And as these people just plead with him not to go. Verse 13, man, you just put a star by it. It's a glowing verse. Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm just astounded by the commitment of, of this man, Paul, as another Paul, Paul Bear Bryant, the head coach of the Alabama football team, University of Alabama, said this, you know, there's no substitute for guts. We just see a Paul, man, just a guy with some guts, a guy that just had power and a lack of fear, wasn't moved by these prophecies of capture and captivity and of harm. You know, as Winston Churchill said, you know, this is no time for ease and comfort. It's the time to dare and endure. And Paul, living in the age where the gospel's going across the then known world, it wasn't a time to just be pampered and sit in comfort and luxury, but to go and spread the message of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We live in that same day now. We live in that same day now. You see, once we cross the threshold of eternity, there will never be another opportunity for us to lead a soul to Christ. That season will be over for eternity. We're living in that tiny little dash of time of all eternity where God has given us a mission and gives us the power to complete that mission. And this is no time for ease and comfort. It's the time to dare and to endure like Paul did. And so you read there in verse 14 that they couldn't persuade Paul. So they just, you know, they they ceased trying. And then they all just said, the will of the Lord be done. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that one man with courage is the majority. And as this Argument went on in the hope of, in the home of Philip, the evangelist there, everybody against Paul, everybody against Paul. But one man with courage was the majority. And so what happened? Verse 15. And after those days we picked up and went to Jerusalem. Now there's something surprising in this chapter. As you read it, and as I read it many times, I just kind of kept coming back to this, this surprising thing. And that is that the promptings of the Spirit seem to be in direct opposite correlation with each other. Did anybody pick that up? You've got Paul, who in Acts 19, 21, and you can just flip back, there are two chapters, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So on one hand, you've got Paul determined to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost. In fact, so much so that he bypassed the city of Ephesus because he didn't have time to, to visit with the Ephesians. And so he just had a short meeting with the Ephesian elders. He was on a mission to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And we just read in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, see, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. And then here we have in chapter 21, verse four, we have the other end of things where the disciples that Paul stayed with told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And then here we have the prophet Agabus speaking forth this prophecy with the belt, you know, begging them, begging him not to go. So, one hand, Paul determined in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. On the other hand, all of his friends, traveling companions, gifted spiritual brothers and sisters and prophets and prophetesses in the Lord telling and warning and pleading Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Think of who was warning Paul here. You got Silas, who's been with Paul for the last two missionary journeys. You've got Timothy. Paul's beloved son in the faith and disciple. You've got men from Macedonia accompanying Paul with a, with a huge offering, a bunch of money. You've got Philip the evangelist, four virgin prophetess daughters, Agabus, a trusted prophet, all begging him not to go. My buddy Adam has been telling me this joke lately and driving it home with repetition. I've been laughing. And uh, it came to my mind this morning, so I had to say, hey, buddy, I'm going to bust that thing out. I don't know if I should preface it, that it's a joke just in case nobody laughs, but a story, perhaps. A storm descends on a small town, and a downpour soon turns into a flood. As the waters rise, the local preacher kneels in prayer on the church porch, surrounded by water. By and by... One of the town folk comes up the street in a canoe. Better get in, preacher. The waters are rising fast. No, says the preacher. I have faith in the Lord. He will save me. Still, the waters rise. Now the preacher's up on the balcony, wringing his hands in prayer and supplication when another guy zips in in a motorboat. Come on, preacher, we need to get get you out of here. The levee's gonna break any moment. Once again, the preacher is unmoved. I shall remain. The Lord will see me through. After a while, the levee breaks and the flood rushes up over the church until only the steeple remains out and above the water. The preacher is up there like King Kong clinging to the cross when a helicopter descends out of the clouds and a state trooper calls down to him through the megaphone. Grab the ladder, preacher. This is your last chance. Once again, the preacher insists, the Lord will deliver me. And predictably, he drowns. A pious man, the preacher goes to heaven. After a while, he gets an interview with God and asks the Almighty, Lord, I had an unwavering faith in you. Why didn't you deliver me from that flood? God shakes his head. What did you want from me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. So it was a joke. Okay, good. (laughs) Now, what's going on with Paul here? I mean, is he in a two boats and a helicopter moment? Who's right? Was Paul wrong to go to Jerusalem? On my iPhone, I downloaded an app, the word of the day. I've done three days so far. And today's word is quixotic, quixotic. And it means foolishly impractical and impulsive. Was Paul being quixotic? Quixotic or Kixotic, however you want to say it, not an English major. Was he in sin? Did he get what he deserved eventually by being arrested and being put in prison and sent to Rome to stand before Nero? Were the dis- Or were the disciples wrong to plead with Paul not to go? Was it the will of God for Paul to go to Jerusalem? And some students say, no. It wasn't the will of God. God gave him warning, two boats and a helicopter. Paul was in the flesh by being stubborn and strong-willed. He had such a heart to reach his Jewish brothers and sisters that he was going to be stiff-necked against the Spirit of God. But others say it was the will of God for Paul to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit was warning Paul of what was ahead, as he often does with us. In fact, the day of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 and actually verse 16 Jesus says I've shown Paul all of the things that he must suffer for my name's sake so Paul had this understanding of what he was going to go through and for years and years and years He'd been given that up before the Lord to where he could finally come to this place of saying, none of these things move me and I don't count my life dear to myself. Or as we read in chapter 21, I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to suffer and to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. As we looked at chapter 19, verse 21, where it says that Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, we see that Paul was on a mission. And from chapter 19, verse 21 on, he had set his gaze toward Jerusalem. Do you remember a similar instance where this happened? In a man named Jesus. When Jesus, it says in the gospel of Luke, set his face toward Jerusalem so that he could go. And that he could suffer and die for the sins of the world. And as Luke here in the book of Acts is in his second volume, we see some parallels here between Jesus and the disciples and Paul and his disciples and his brothers and sisters. You remember that Peter in the book of Matthew affirms that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gets a nice pat on the back from Jesus. But like the next verse, he puts his foot in his mouth by telling Jesus that Jesus doesn't need to go to the cross. He doesn't need to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't need to suffer and die. And Jesus puts Peter in his place by turning around and saying, get behind me, Satan, pointing at Peter saying, you're not mindful of the things of God. Peter was, you know, Peter was genuine. And his wanting to protect Jesus was admirable, but it was wrong. Just like Paul's friend here, you know, the strength of these people's concerns and their affirmations and their deductions from these prophecies. And even from God's word, our deductions from God's word can be fallible. Even if 20 of us agree upon it, times in prayer, we're not infallible. Only God's word is infallible. The prophetic word through Agabus and through all of those other brothers and sisters was a prediction, but it wasn't a prohibition. The warning was divine and it was from the Lord, but the deduction for Paul not to go there was human. It takes humility to say, you know what? I've sought the Lord. I've sought the Lord. We've warned you. We've said what we think the Lord would have us say. We're genuine. And it takes humility to say the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. The issue of guidance in a Christian's life. You know, you can read a whole bunch of books on decision making and the will of God. And yet many of them will say different things because the nature of the way of God's unfolding drama is untidy at best as Alistair Begg says. (laughs) I'll say that again. The nature of the way of God's unfolding drama in our lives is untidy at best. If you read missionary biographies, you'll find that to be the case. I encourage you, if you go for runs or if you drive long distances, if you have an iPod, uh, go to desiringgod.org, John Piper's website, listen to his biographies of missionaries and church leaders, and man, they are so encouraging. I know you guys would love them, but you'll hear of a man named John Patton from Scotland who was called by the Spirit to go to the islands of the New Hebrides down on the east side of Australia. The previous missionaries that had gone there were dropped off As the little rowboat drops him off on the island, heads back to the master ship, they look back and they see a group of headhunters slaughtering the missionaries and eating them in front of their very eyes. They took that report back to Scotland where John Patton said, I'm going back there. Every counselor in his life warned him not to go. In fact, they said things like, you'll be eaten by cannibals, John. And John, with the wisdom of the Lord, says, hey, I'm either going to die and be eaten by worms, or I'm going to go to New Hebrides and I'll die and be eaten by cannibals. And you can look it up today. The island of the New Hebrides is a Christian set of islands. Revival swept through. Amazing biography where angels protected John there on the island. No doubt the men in Scotland love John, don't go, you'll be eaten by cannibals, don't go. But John heard the call of the Holy Spirit on his life, and that is something that cannot be substituted. Jim Elliott, before he went with all of his buddies down to the Alka Indians to be a martyr for the faith down there, as a 19-year-old wrestler from Portland, Oregon, he was told by all of his mentors, don't go down there, Jim. Jim. You have such a gift of preaching, which you can actually listen to his messages online today. You have such a gift of preaching. The world needs more preachers and pastors. Stay here. But he knew with his friends, they were called to take a little airplane and to land on a little sandy beach in the rivers and to minister the gospel to those Indians who would eventually slaughter all of them. Gladys Edward was a tiny little woman with straight black hair who had a call on her heart to go to China. And the missions board at her church said, we want to protect the agency by not letting you go to China. We found that little blonde women with curly hair, tall blonde women with curly hair seem to be the more effective ministers. But Gladys Aldward is how you pronounce her name, went instead And as she landed on the docks in China, what type of women do you think she saw out there? Tiny little women with straight black hair. She became an incredible missionary to the people of China. You know, the best men are men at best the best men are men at best these friends response to paul's prophecies were natural responses but paul's response to their prophecies they were it was supernatural oswald sanders tells the story of a young man who began a career as a coast guard and on his first trip he got on the coast guard boat to go rescue a sinking vessel And the storm and the waves were so big, even in the harbor, he yelled out to the captain, we'll never make it back. To which the captain replied, we don't have to come back, but we do have to go out. You know, there's countries today that you'll read missionary blogs and websites and they'll say, this is a closed country to the gospel But as a man, George Verville, spoke at a missions conference, there are no closed countries going in. They're only closed for going out. And if the Lord puts on your heart to do a ministry or a mission, then you seek hard after the Lord. You seek hard after the Lord. And perhaps he will say to you, now's not the time. Don't go. But if he says, go, you'll know in your heart. And you'll say, woe is me if I don't go. So as you look at all of this, mighty men of God on both sides of the equation, don't go. I'm going. Don't you go. The spirit is prophesying this and told me to speak this to you. Well, I'm going. Not only am I ready to be bound, but I'm ready to suffer and die for the name of Jesus. We ask ourselves, you know, is it possible for me to ever really know the will of God? I mean, if this was going on in the early church in the book of Acts, how is it possible for me to know the will of God in Oregon in 2011? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 tells us, See that you walk circumspectly or vigilantly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise, church. Walk circumspectly, vigilantly, with eyes just scanning the horizon that you could know what the will of God is. As in verse 14, they ceased trying to persuade Paul and they just said, the will of the Lord be done. May Paul know the will of the Lord. And so how do you discover this? How do you discover the will of the Lord in your life, in your situation? What's God's plan for your life, for your career, for direction, for who you might marry, for who you might go into business with, for the town that you might live in, for the career that you might take? How do you discover these things? How do you discern the call of the spirit of God? Number one, Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this. You guys know it. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Picture a traveler carrying a lantern or a torch back in David's day. The lighting of your path in that case is progressive. It's not all at once. You don't see the full big picture. You don't see the end of the trail or around the corner, but you just go and you see three feet to six feet in front of you and you go, you take it by stride. You step over the obstacles as they come. You just do the next thing. Like Philip, go to Samaria. I'll go to Samaria. Now that you're here and there's a revival, go down to the desert. Why? Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm going. (laughs) He didn't know why. He gets to Samaria. There's a chariot. Go overtake it. Okay. (laughs) Just step by step by step, the Lord was illuminating his path. In that same chapter, Psalm 119, verse 133, it says, direct my steps by your word. Are you in a place wanting to know the will of God and what steps you should take? Open up your Bibles and saturate yourself in the word of God. I'm not talking about Bible roulette, flipping open the scriptures and pointing at a random verse. Do all that's within your heart. Or as Deuteronomy says, you know, spend your money on whatever's in your heart to spend it on. Thank you, Lord. You know, just go out. Russian roulette proved try and true again. No, it's saturating yourself in the word of God that you could know what the will of God is, that that flashlight that that lamp or lantern could be upon your path. Precept upon precept, line upon line. Paul writes to Timothy, 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. It says, and that from childhood, Timothy, you've known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be made wise for salvation. We need to be made wise in our directing from the Lord. And we're made wise through the holy scriptures. The next verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, which you should have memorized because it's a key apologetic tool on knowing where our scriptures came from, says all scripture is given by, we need to listen to the doctrine series again from last summer. All scripture is given by inspiration. All scriptures are given by inspiration of God. That means literally that God breathed out the word. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is so useful and is such a tool and gives us such a good foundational understanding for who God is and what God requires of us. And you write this in your notes and you brand it into your brains, church, that God will never lead us somewhere that deviates from the plumb line of Scripture. Do you know that? Did you hear the sizzle? Brand it again. God will never lead you anywhere to do anything that will deviate from the plumb line of Scripture. And some of you in this room, probably a lot of us, are really struggling with understanding God's will. Yet you refuse to make time to get into the word. Even this morning, you had to search for your Bible. You didn't know where it was. You found it in the trunk of your car or under the bed or somewhere where it collected a lot of dust this week. Some of you've departed from a consistent time and diet of the word of God. Some of you convince yourselves that you have been in the word of God when you haven't. And you're deceiving yourselves. Oh, I, yeah, I read the word and um, you didn't. You didn't read the word. You didn't open up the book. You didn't meditate upon it. You didn't chew upon it. You didn't plant it in your heart. And that might be because, you know, you, you listened to, to love on the way to work or something. And there was a verse or something. And that was it. Or, and, and the Lord uses that. But man, wait upon the Lord in his word. Open up your Bibles. And don't be condemned if you've been failing. Just today, just do it. Find it. Pick it up. Ken Graves is a pastor in in Maine, and he has this little, like, it looks like something I keep my bullets in when I'm hunting, you know? It goes on my belt. Um, But I don't know if he just pulled out the styrofoam bullet mold or what and just puts his Bible in it. You know, and he cruises around. with like He's such a, like, buff, gladiator-looking guy. Like, no one would make fun of him. What's that leather? You know? Um, But he's just got this, he's got... His sword on his hip. My uncle got one, my uncle Rick, and now he carries this sword on his hip everywhere he goes. Not a bad idea. Keep the word with you. Just open it up whenever you have a lull in your day. Saturate yourself in the word. Number two, bathe your situation in prayer. So often we forget to pray. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, From there you will seek the Lord and you'll find him if you seek him with all of your heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew seven, seven, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be open. So whatever your situation is, whatever you're just wondering, what is the will of God? You keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking and you be the persistent widow that, that Jesus speaks about, or you be that persistent friend that just, you keep knocking and you'll get results. Be that squeaky wheel. Bathe the situation in prayer. This is not us persuading God to do our will, but through those times of meditation upon the Lord and crying out to Him, our will is made to be like the Lord's. We're the ones that get adjusted, James chapter one, verse five says that if any of you lacks wisdom, and we all do, don't we? <laughs> Just times where it's like, oh, Lord, I need wisdom in this situation. Ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then we're told, ask in faith without doubting. That situation, you're wondering what to do. You seek the Lord, you keep seeking the Lord, you keep knocking till you get an answer. You ask for wisdom and you ask in faith, believing that you'll get it and you'll get it. Again, the Christian jargon is, well, we've been praying and seeking the Lord about this. And I would ask you, have you really, have you really been praying and seeking the Lord, knocking, asking, just this continual process? Or was it just like once at the dinner table, and you haven't really brought it before the Lord since? When Jesus chose the 12 disciples, before he did, he spent the night bathing the situation in prayer. His last night before he went to the cross was spent doing what? Praying earnestly. When there's a crucial situation, get the people around you involved with you in praying for you. Call a prayer meeting. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. Hey, Facebook message or email or phone call or text. Hey, everyone at my house, seven o'clock tonight. I have a big situation. I need prayer. Come one, come all. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's bathe the situation in prayer. Number three, and you should know it, adding fasting to that prayer. Judges chapter 20, Israel's going out to battle against the tribe of Benjamin for their wicked deed against the, the widow or excuse me, the concubine of this Levite. And they went out to battle and they just kind of did one of those, you know, quick prayers at dinner or whatever. Lord, should we go up to fight? Yeah, you almost hear the Lord, yeah, but, you know, and let's get on, you know, and they go out and fight and they get worked, even though they had way more men in their army. Something like 18,000 people of their army dies and they were only fighting an 18,000 man army. So they come back limping and, and bloody Lord, should we go out? Yes. Ah, you know, and they go out. And again, like something like 25,000 die. So they come back. How come we can't beat those guys, you know? And it says they cried out to the Lord with fasting. Lord, should we go up against them? You go. And if you'll let me finish, I'm going to deliver them into your hands. Yeah! And they go out just completely wipe out the army of the Benjamites studied that in depth through our fasting study. Acts chapter 13, verses two and three, these awesome men of God, Paul and Barnabas being some of them, were ministering to the Lord. You guys remember that? Ministering to the Lord through prayer and fasting. And then it says, and the Holy Spirit said, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I'm calling them to. It was through times of ministering to the Lord, times of prayer, times of fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. Ezra chapter 8, 21 says, and then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God and seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. So those of you that are making decisions for the family, fast. Fast and pray, and saturate yourselves in the Word. Deny the food, digesting food, so that you can digest the will of God. Instead of eating my Wheaties this morning, Lord, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm just going to just hear from you. I'm just going to digest from you. I'm just going to pray to you. Number four, the peace of the Lord. How do we know the will of God in our life? The peace of the Lord. Colossians chapter 315 uses this one, this word, just this one time in the New Testament. And it's the word rule. Okay. And, and, and the way that it means it, it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. A.T. Robertson, one of the leading Greek scholars of our day, says that the word rule means umpire. Umpire let the peace of God umpire your hearts. Tell you what to do. Man, if you are going to make something happen in your flesh, you're going to move to this town, you're going to date this person, you're going to marry this person. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to I'm stiffen my neck against you, Lord. I'm just going to harden my heart against you. I'm going to do it. I know your word says not to. And I, and I know through prayer and through fasting, I just, and, and I don't have a peace in my heart about it, but I'm just going to do it, Lord. I'm going to make it happen. And the scriptures tell us a work of the flesh, our God does not recognize. Don't do it. If you don't have a peace in your heart, don't do it. Have you ever done anything before where you've, the Lord was saying, no, no. And you're saying, yes, yes. And you did it anyway. anyone show a hand? Just be like, yeah, real quick been there know what you're talking okay good that's a lot of hands i was like Ooh, we need to pray <laughs> hopefully it was a long time ago okay you know you did it anyways and you remember that feeling afterwards like i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have done it but i did but i shouldn't have <laughs> that's a hard place to be and you deal with the consequences of that blaine was talking at the national day of prayer And he mentioned a time in his life. I'm trying to remember exactly the context, but it was something that he was going to do and that he didn't do it. He's here. He could probably tell you about it himself, but he used a phrase and he said, and the Lord was upon me like a lead blanket, like a lead blanket. And I immediately went to the x-ray room in my mind, you know, having that lead blanket upon you. And Wednesday night, you know, it felt like I was supposed to go one direction with the way we did the corporate worship night, and, and I was going to show a movie, and, and it just felt like we'd all be encouraged in prayer through this. And I just had this lead blanket upon me. Whenever I talk about it, I was like, something's not right. You know, it's it's six twenty. Church starts in, thir- in ten minutes, and I'm telling Stuart like it's because this great movie. We're going to watch it together. And come on, guys, aren't you excited about it? Like me, it's lead blanket on me. And I was like, I was standing there with Blaine, I go, I got to go to my office and pray. Went in my office, shut off the lights, laid on my couch. Lord, what's wrong? He's like, you're not doing what I want you to. I want you to put the chairs in a circle so everyone's facing each other. So they're close together in intimate worship and prayer with each other. They can almost feel each other's heartbeat. Boom. Okay, Lord, I ran out here. I just started setting up chairs. The lead blanket was off. If you, t- if you have a lead blanket when you're going to make a decision, you just wait. You bring that decision before the Lord. I'm not talking about your happiness or if you're happy to do something. No doubt Paul knew, okay, I'm gonna get beat up. I'm gonna get whipped in Jerusalem, but I've got the peace of the Lord. I'm not not only ready to, to, to be bound, but to die. Not gonna be a joyous experience for the old bod, but I have the peace of the Holy Spirit. Number five, the Spirit of God leading us. The Spirit of God leading us. Those that are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8 tells us. Through the Word, through prayer, through fasting, through peace, you be very cautious about your circumstances. Circumstances are not one of the things I'm going to give you today to know the will of God. You be very cautious about circumstances. Just because it's a great opportunity or it's a lush and fruitful land, as Lot found out later, you know, doesn't mean it's the will of God. You get your eyes off of the circumstances. There are times that the Lord does use circumstances. I'm convinced that a month before I moved to Wyoming to plant a church and Ryan Couch calling me and asking me to come here, I'm convinced that was a circumstance that the Lord had ordained. As I was a youth pastor for seven and a half years, never once had a call from anybody to pastor a church anywhere. And a month before I go, I get this call. I'm convinced, I am, I don't know about other people, but I'm convinced that that was a circumstance from the Lord, but you be sensitive about that your still small voice. You hear from the Lord in that still small voice as the spirit of the God leads you. Don't be looking for the hurricane. Oh, the Lord's in the hurricane. As Elijah found out, the Lord's not in the hurricane. Or the thunderstorm. The Lord's in the thunderstorm. The Lord's not in the thunderstorm. Always. And then Elijah heard a still small voice. The prompting of his heart. He knew that it was the Lord. Running out of time. So, The spirit of the Lord leading us through the still small voice. Number seven, through people and seeking wise counsel. Proverbs tells us in chapter 11, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You be careful who those counselors are. Make sure they're men and women of God. Make sure they're regenerate. If you're a child, you listen to your parents. If you're still within the authority of your house, you listen to your parents. And it's, you know, there's some wisdom, even afterwards, in listening to your parents. Parents are wise counselors, and you'll rarely find anybody in this world that'll love you as much as your parents, as, as you moms, little Mother's Day plug there, you know, such self-sacrificing love. But you listen to your wife's counsel. You guys remember when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, Solomon dies, and Rehoboam's there, and he asks his elders, what should I do? How should I rule? And the elders say, Hey man, your dad, he had a, he had a, he had a, he had a hard, hard, uh, throne, man. Like I, we really feel like you should just be sensitive to the people and be a little more compassionate, be kind of caring, be a soft, just like not a hard handed King, you know? And Rehoboam's like, I'll think about it. Give me three days. Then he goes to his young buddies that he grew up with. He goes, what do you guys think about this? How about you tell them? You think my dad's, you know, you think my dad's hand was strong? He's like a little pinky, as as strong as I'm going to be. And so Rehoboam went and did that and disregarded his wise counselors. And it did not end well for Rehoboam. You listen to those wise counselors. And yet in Paul's case, every one of his counselors were telling him what? Don't go to Jerusalem. Still need to be led by the Holy Spirit. I remember when Rob was coming to uh, Corvallis. He was told by John Corson, don't go to Corvallis. There's already an Applegate plant there. And, uh, you know, I don't want to step on that guy's toes. Don't go to Corvallis. And Rob was like, woe is me if I don't go to Corvallis. I'm sorry, John, like respected man in Rob's life, but I'm going to Corvallis. And the Lord's done a radical work there in Corvallis. Lastly, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Season your situation with time. Put time on your side problems often solve themselves with time. But I've also found in my so many years of experience, (laughs) mostly spoken to me through wise counselors. If you're ever rushed to do something, it's probably not the Lord. you be sensitive about that. You really seek the Lord. If, if there's a, I need to know in three hours, I need three hours, you know, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, it's like, man, wait on the Lord. So many of the Psalms, I mean, you get your concordance out. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. Indeed, let no one who waits on the Lord be put to shame. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on the Lord. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. wait on the Lord, be of encouraged. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 41, I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. Psalm 30, verse 5, I waited for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I place my trust. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who wait for the morning. Yes, even more than those that wait for the morning. Those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah forty thirty one, shall renew their strength, shall run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Lamentations 325, the Lord is good to those that wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord in your situation, you get away, you get away, go to the viewpoint, go up into the Ocha go to the reservoir, go to the park here, come into the sanctuary in the middle of the week and wait on the Lord. And I'm convinced that these things will lead you into a good place. I rarely, if ever regret a decision where I've saturated the situation in the word of God, I've bathed it in prayer. I've been led by the Spirit. I've sought wise counsel. I've waited on the Lord for a peace in my heart from the Lord. Rarely have I ever regretted those decisions. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, I can tell you definitely the will of God for your life right now. As we're told by Paul to Timothy, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. The will of God for you today is that you would know the truth about yourself, about your sin, about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, that you would be forgiven because his blood paid it all, paid for every one of your sins. And he's the only way to the Father. And the will of the Lord is that you might know today if you'll call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. So call on his name right now. Second Peter 3 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So right now, repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Savior. What He's accomplished on the cross will be attributed to your account. As Stuart comes on up. Ultimately, when the time comes to make your decision, you make it in faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when you make that decision, you just go, Lord, I've waited. I've saturated myself in the word. I've prayed. I've sought wise counsel. All of these things I have a peace in my heart and I'm going to make this decision, and I make it in faith. And today, you can make the decision to follow Jesus Christ in faith. Through faith, just believe in your heart, just trust in Jesus. You can do it right now. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at PO Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754, or check us out further on our website at com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.